Good evening and welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sandsbury. In fact, it is good morning, which just goes to prove that we pre-record that little bit to make sure that we get it right all the time. Welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. For those of you listening live, it's 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. We decided, frankly, Coonsberg has had it all to herself for far too long, and we thought we'd uh, we'd try the morning slot. If you're listening to the delayed semi-live version, it's 6.27. If Simon's remembered to push the buttons at the right time, and if you're listening on podcast, well done. Give us five stars, rate, and review. So um, here we are, Sunday morning. A bleary-eyed Simon. Who have we got this morning, Simon? So this morning, as we go head-to-head with um, with Peter Finlay on... Pol- <laughs> so um, so this morning, we are joined by Councillor Dan Weems um, from Hillsey Ward. Welcome, Dan. Welcome. Thank you uh, for having me on. And I'm, apologies for getting you guys up early on a Sunday. <laughs> that, that, that's okay. That's okay. We, we, we're normally shouting at a television at this time in the morning anyway. So it, it's, um, it's hopefully not too not too bad and we don't look too bleary eyed um but it's worth trying to see whether we can find a to find our audience in the morning for a change we'll, we'll see we'll see but um so we, we're here to talk about uh matters hillsy with dan uh, and and then once we've kind of gone through gone through um those items um we're also going to have a bit of a preview in uh tuesday's full council uh meeting which is looking at the uh, at portsmouth city council's budget so you can imagine that's going to be as exciting as as that can possibly be, but we'll have a chat about that later on. Well, we'll we'll try and bring as much energy energy as we can to a potential eleven hour fist fight, but um, yeah, yeah, we'll see what we can do with it. Okay, that's great. So, um, so I'll I'll um I'll head off. So, um, Dan, um, so couple of things a couple of things that we we wanted to talk about one of them is is, is um is with regards to uh pharmacies um last year you were part of the campaign to to stop Rowland's pharmacy in in London Road from closing can you remind us why this campaign was important at, at that time um yeah so a little over 12 months ago basically Rowland's uh, head office decided well I guess they were doing a restructuring and um they were looking at different uh pharmacies up and down the country and to see where they could obviously, I guess, do cost savings. And one of them was in London Road in Hillsey. And the way that the clinical uh, mechanisms work is basically um, if you're a pharmacy provider and you wish to close, then you can move all your uh, patients over to a pharmacy that's close by. And that would have been in Kingston uh, Road, which is obviously for a lot of residents in Hillsey, not somewhere that is overly close um and indeed the closest one being cotton is quite a, a walk away especially for those who are vulnerable or indeed may have a disability and can't make it that far so uh, at that point when we heard that uh, the ex uh, hillsey councillor scott peter harris and i uh, we decided to look at the provision and to see where we can uh, keep that provision in hillsey so once we um, looked into that we met with um, different providers and just to see if they're interested in taking over um taking over the pharmacy in hillsey and we also gave a deputation at the health and well-being board and um, basically to exemplify uh residents concerns and just say that the demand is there so 
if the demand can be proven, basically other providers can take over that site. Um, we also strengthened a motion at full council, which spoke about um, pharmacy provision and GP provision in general in Hillsey. And uh, we decided that we could have strengthened that with an amendment, which we did. And then we led a petition, uh, which was um, created by residents to basically exemplify that once to say, please don't close our pharmacy. We, a lot of us use it. And then uh, furthermore to that, we also met with um, the people who worked at the pharmacy and basically asked like, um, you know, what their concerns were. And once we collected all that evidence and data, we put it to the Portsmouth Clinical Commissioning Group, as well as, uh, like I said, the Health and Wellbeing Board. And um, the NHS basically said, yes, we can uh, keep the provision and uh, another, another provider could um, bid for that. And uh, we had people from up and down the country actually uh, show interest for that site. So we had people from Birmingham all the way up from Newcastle. But we felt that, I mean, it wasn't our decision, but we felt that a local provider such as in Lally's uh, would be the best one. So we met with them and uh, spoke through with um, them on what the best case scenario would be. And that's basically what um, happened. Um, kept the pharmacy open and uh, a lot of happy Hillsy residents um, can get their prescriptions and indeed um, some basic medical care. So, Dan, um, the, the pharmacy's been saved uh, and just uh, uh, last week the government announced that uh, pharmacists were going to be able to effectively issue some common prescriptions to save people having to go to their GP. Do you see this as a, a welcome addition or is this just putting more pressure on, on pharmacies, which we've, we've covered before on the podcast, are, are having some issues in recruiting and retraining enough trained staff? I'd say it's um, a number of measures that the government have recently released in, in um, the hope of obviously reducing waiting times and alleviating some of the pressure on, um, I would say, A&E's. Um, up and down the country. I mean, most people go to their pharmacy first before they go to their GP. So it only makes sense that if we can strengthen um, what you can provide at the pharmacy, then hopefully we can take some of that pressure off um, GP practices. I'd say 10,000 pharmacies up and down the country are going to benefit from this um, £645 million worth of funding. Yes, there will obviously be some teething measures. That is the case with any large-scale um, policy such as this. But if you look at the crux of the matter, if you can get the people who see the most people in that community, bar GPs, to be actual office and medical service, um, you can you can stop unnecessary appointments and actually be able to give GPs the time that they can obviously serve um, with more complicated procedures. I mean, it's going to take a few years. That that's true. Like to actually be able to streamline the service, but essentially, um, all new pharmacists from memory are going to be able to prescribe. So if we can get the ball mo moving now, then obviously it's going to be a lot easier when these new pharmacists come in. And obviously we're trying to make sure, say we, um, the government are trying to ensure that that shortage of pharmacists is, is plugged. And this 645 million pound worth of funding helps to do that. I'd say, yeah, keeping the um, things they can prescribe for simple at present will obviously mitigate risks, but it will also help alleviate that pressure I mentioned before. So I think it's only a good thing. And uh, obviously it isn't uh, the silver bullet, but it's definitely something that can help. And I think in a few years time, we'll see the benefit of that. Cool. Lovely. Um, sorry. Um, yeah. So, um, I mean, looking at Hillsy spe uh, specifically, Dan, what, 
What do you what do you think is is missing in the ward in terms of health provision and um and who do you see as responsible for plugging that gap? I think this might be um, one of the times where I actually agree with my ward colleagues on uh, some of <laughs> some issues, but um, I definitely say one of the things that is missing is a GP surgery, and I know that there's um a lot of concerns by residents where there is the space that well there was the space at South Down View for that GP practice that was promised it was way before my time so I can't really comment on the ins and outs of what was agreed but I know that there was something that was mentioned indeed one of the concerns which we'll lead on to in a bit was talking about how we could have used the news centre sites for such a provision but I think uh, you know in Hillsy spaces is hard to come by if you can find somewhere to put a GP it'd be fantastic but at the end of the day, those the people who make the decision is the Portsmouth Clinical Commissioning Group and as well as the NHS England in general. And I think they have the responsibility. Um, one of the things that I would say is if you can have that grassroots campaign where you can show that there is a need for provision, then NHS England will listen. I mean, that was exemplified by the um, the pharmacy campaign. But indeed, if it's, it's down to... It's down to that clinical commissioning group if they can obviously put forward a service and indeed find a provider that's one of the things if you can't find a provider to give essential medical services then you're not going to be able to open one up so it's it's always um a thing with local government indeed with national government indeed with everything else around it with the nhs is you need to put those people together in a room and actually just dis- and, and discuss what needs to happen i mean you only have to look at what penny morden did recently with the with the dentistry summit she held and she was quite successful in getting everyone into a room and getting that um, national funding for extra dentists so if we can do something similar with gps if the need is there then perfect it'd be brilliant and i think that's something we could definitely look into um moving forward i mean you only have to look at demographics within hillsey it's growing it's a growing population historically it's older than younger so if i would say a gp practice is needed especially in the next 10 to 15 years. So I'm happy to look into that. And I definitely would push that to all uh, all people in senior leadership and different entities to take a look and see what is needed in the future. Cool. So it, it's not as easy as finding a site then. You've got to, you've got to line up the, the who's going to actually fill it. You've got to find the money. So it's... It, you know. Exactly. It, it, it sounds amazing in, in principle. And, I you know, no one's against having more GPs. Mm. Like, you know, everyone... Everyone is obviously happy to support that. You just need to really look into the details. And that's one of the things that is always difficult, especially as a counsellor. You know, we're not experts in uh, the medical field, we're not experts in a lot of things. But most of the things that I would say that a counsellor does is you voice the concerns of residents and what they see as on face value is we need GP and, and need a GP in Hilsey. So obviously I, I commend any counsellor, indeed, and my war colleagues for putting that forward. Yeah, perfect. So. Dan, a little change of tack now. Um, anyone who's sort of driven into Portsmouth will know the iconic news centre um, as you come in through Hillsey um, currently being demolished. And before that happened, there was a, a campaign to get the building listed. Um, it's being knocked down to make way for the new electric bus depot. Um, did you share the thinking behind getting the new centre listed or, or, or looking to save it? I think with this, it's I always follow what residents want. So um, in this instance, we did look into listing the building and obviously it's very, very difficult thing to do. And you only have to look at what's happening in Drayton uh, with the pub obviously trying to be designated. And it's hard to work out the best approach. So we did look into it. 
obviously it didn't happen a lot of residents were upset some residents were happy i'd say it's a very dividing um line in hilsey with some residents wanting to see the building gone and just made into something new and a lot of residents um love the fact that it's you know it's that historical architecture that they really like it's you know when you drive into hilsey driving to portsmouth it's one of the first things you see and i would say you know i always follow the majority when it comes to these things so there's always going to be some unhappy people and happy people with the demolition but uh, the issue is that this case and scenario it just didn't happen and you know there'll be other buildings in across the city that will probably face similar um campaigns and um it will have to see what happens but in this case it didn't happen so now that the decision has been uh, has been taken to to remove it and uh, uh, as you said the, the the demolition's actually underway um, do you, do, do you think that that's a, a, a positive outcome actually putting in that facility for an electric uh, bus charging station? Is that going to be a good thing for the community? My personal opinion is it's a good thing. Um, I think a fleet of electric vehicles that can serve the city and its residents is always a positive. My only concern, and this is shared with many people, is the manner of which the building's been demolished and what um, consultations being had with residents and indeed what communication has been had with residents because at present i would say it's not good enough um at the beginning of this scenario we were promised a lot of things councillor simpson councillor strudwick and i we met with them first bus and said look one of the things that we know the building's going to get demolished we know that's we can see your plans we'd like the idea of the bus fleet but what we don't like is you're removing the entire building so if there's anything you can keep that obviously can show this historical value of the site that was brilliant so when we met with first bus they, they promised us to keep the pond area and some of the signage um some that hasn't been prompt that hasn't been fulfilled the other thing was the soundproofing along as you drive into military road they were going to put some sound sound dampening so basically when the demolish demolition happens it'd be less likely to impact residents as well as when the building was erected is erected it would also stop some of the noise from some of the buses and cars etc however I know with building works, there's always going to be issues, but one of the things that we weren't expecting was glass into the road, which happened obviously this weekend, which is ridiculous and not good enough. The other thing that isn't good enough is the lack of notice by the council during the planning phase. We raised copious amounts of concerns with that. You know, if you want buy-in from residents, you need to communicate with them. The other issue was the consultation. What's the point of collecting all of this feedback if you're not going to implement some of it? So that's one of the problems I've had with the entire site. Yes, it's the same thing with the GP, I guess. Like, it sounds great in principle, but how do you enact it? So if you're getting lots of residents complaining, then you're not doing things properly. And I'd say, yes, and maybe in 10 years when you can see the fleet of uh, electric buses that are serving the residents of Portsmouth, great. But it's always going to have that issue where historically you just remember the glass in the road, the noise going on at 6am, which isn't good enough either. So it's very dividing. Personally, as I said, it sounds great in principle, but I don't like what the developers doing. And I don't like that the first bus hasn't communicated with residents very well. Do you think that's a common thing with, with developers in general? Do you think some do better at that than than others? Is that is because I mean, obviously, building works as disruptive as they are, are, are quite temporary, but is is that just kind of like a, a given in the in the in, in your experience of what other developers do that 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 basically that's just going to be the case or they or are others better at working with local communities? I think there's always going to be those who you use as an example of best practice, and I would definitely say 
you can have the noise and you can have some of the issues. I mean, with the buildings as large as that, there's going to be problems. But it's the positive impact you have when you obviously speak to residents on the door and you say, look, we know there's going to be a lot of noise. How can we mitigate that? Um, here's my phone number. Some just simple things that like a lot of developers don't think of, which, you know, the communication side is if you meet with residents regularly, you can take them with you. And that's one of the things that you need to get as a developer. You need to get resident buy-in for those who are surrounding, as well as, especially if it's a building that people are going to live in, like you need to obviously get buy-in there. But with the new center site, there's going to be commercial space. There's going to be obviously a lot of people coming in and out. And if you can't show residents the positive impact it's going to have in the community, you're, you're just not going to get that buy-in I mentioned earlier. So I would say it's, there's, there's always bad examples that you can have, but there's also good examples. But and I would just say this, you just need to have good practice when you speak with the residents that you're impacted. You've already touched on the fact that the uh, the issue has been quite divisive in terms of some residents supporting or some residents kind of in, in favour. In terms of Hillsey more generally, what, what you know, is it a case of, of residents are, are, are sort of looking for, for what developments are the residents really looking for? I mean, when I speak to people on the door, when it comes to developments, they, they want to see a net gain in terms of how can I use this development as a resident? Like one of the things I, I, I always put forward is when anything's getting built in Hillsey, has it got the longevity? Is it having a positive impact up and down the demographic of those who live there? And indeed, what's the impact it's going to have while it's getting built. So one of the things that's always missing is obviously health provision, but finding a site is very difficult. Um, transport, I mean, this is getting built with the new center, but obviously there's issues there. And then it, it depends what else. So like, you know, Hillsley is changing. It's changing historically. It's very different to what it is now, but you just need to ask residents what they see. So at present, health provision is one of the biggest issues that residents want and are always constantly messaging me about so i'd definitely say when you speak to people on the doorstep things such as more dentistry and more gps is, is what concerns them brilliant dan that's been fantastic thank you ever so much for uh for giving up your sunday morning for us and um and uh, yeah hopefully there will uh, there'll be more to come and uh, we'll keep an eye on how these things evolve yeah definitely thank you very much for having me on and uh yes i look forward to the 12-hour meeting on tuesday I wish you will <laughs> yep no pl plenty plenty of snacks and caffeine i think is probably the answer although mayor tom cole seems to be seems to uh channel his inner klingon to try and keep the meetings much briefer than they used to be he's done very well i, I appreciate that you know, we don't always need to hear the same thing over and over again from different councillors. So he's quite good at um, cutting people off when they need to be. Uh, but yeah, no, I look forward to it. I mean, I've heard stories that people used to order Domino's and KFC and so I might see if I can uh, reignite that old tradition and order some food. Other other food service, for, oh, other food service delivery so much, providers are available. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm vegetarian now, so yeah, I can't, I can't. My days of KFC are behind me, but uh, yeah, I'm sure other people will. Live okay, well, it. wish you well. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Cheers, and, Dan. Uh, yeah, thank have you. a good weekend. Thank Cheers, Dan. Bye. So, um, yeah, good to good to hear from Dan about the uh, 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 about those issues. Um, hopefully, something positive coming out of 
out of um, out of the broader landscape with with pharmacies, um, and it remains to be seen what happens with the with the finishing yeah. of the development on the new centre site. Yeah, and it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because the the the, the new centre uh, de- de- debate discussion for me echoed, you know, the the, the debate of good lord, I'll, I'll probably be out by 10 years, you know, 20, 25 years ago when the decision was made to knock down the tricorn. You know, it was a, it was a development that sort of was quite iconic in terms of Portsmouth, but, um, you know, clearly was not fit for purpose or function for the sort of modern world. And, you know, the new centre, and I guess this speaks to how the world has changed, you know, a giant building um, you know, still called the news centre, but I don't know how many years ago the news moved out of the news centre. But you know, those big kind of seventies style, sixties uh, or seventies, you know, those th- those pieces of architecture, striking as they may have been, you know, not sound, not easy to insulate, not cheap to run, big you know, just isn't a thing that that people need anymore, you know, or, or businesses want. So, you know, was was always going to be a challenge, um, you know, to, to, to find a function for it. Uh, and ultimately, I guess that's why it's um, currently got a wrecking ball yeah, going through it. Yeah, it's just a, it, I mean, it, it is the changing landscape of our media, the um, the changing environment of the technology that means that we can, you know, to be honest with you, I, I don't think I actually bought a newspaper more than I, I think I possibly bought one once in the in the last five years, um, and I'm sorry to say I haven't bought a copy of the of the you know the evening news probably in the, like the last fifteen years. Um, so you know that's the struggle that. That yep. local news companies um, like the news are, are, are facing. Um, at the same time, technology moves on. At the same time, as they're they're funding. You know, they're they're basically trying to find a way to to fund it. It's a, obviously a constant. You know, you and I have spoken often about the frustration of of ads on on um, news websites. But it, but if you're not paying, someone else has to. Yeah. So you know, there's there's got to be a way that they can you know they can make their bread and butter. But it's just not the way that that we print things anymore even and we don't really predominantly absorb our news on a piece of dead tree no no and and you know it's fascinating looking back you know i remember sort of 40 and this is 40 years ago where you know as well as the evening news on a saturday the news would produce a a, a paper (laughs) called the sports mail on pink paper and um you know it, it was a case of, and this you know, gives you an idea of how the, you know, how the world has changed. So their their kind of objective was that that they would get the paper printed out and into newsagents after the Pompey game had finished, um, and before the newsagent closed at sort of, you know, they had this sort of ninety minute window, and I remember as a boy being sent down to the the news agent, uh, you know, you didn't go too soon because if you went at six o'clock, the paper wouldn't be there. And if you went at 25 past six, it was a race to get there before they closed at half six, you know, to to get the sports mail. And, 
when you look at that now, you think, you know, wow, what what an endeavour, um, you know, to to try and to try and get that into the hands of people um, in in such a narrow window. So yeah, I think the world has has changed and moved on, and um, yeah, I think we're 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 I don't think we're ever going back. So um, so let's look ahead. Tuesday, the grand budget meeting, which is as we we said last year was um was all very harmonious um you've been casting your eye over you know uh, what's on the agenda for for this uh, this tuesday uh, let let me could i could i just gently gaze into my crystal ball and and without having done the research would the council be suggesting a 4.99% council tax rise this year it's amazing ian it's it's um it's like you've read my notes or oh. just remember from from oh. the last i can't remember how many years um how many years it's been since there since there wasn't the the, the total good so the so here's the yeah you're, you're you're right on the money um the 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 um the slightly expansive answer is um the um that the the council are allowed to increase the council tax uh, by a maximum of two point nine nine percent without having to um, have a referendum actually of the of the residents of the city um, to allow them to actually increase it by more. Uh, but in addition to the two point nine nine percent for the increase in um, in the council tax contribution, there's also the percentage they're they're allowed to actually um, charge a precept for uh, for social care. Um, and the and they and the maximum for that is um, is two percent. So that's kind of where that comes from. Obviously, overall, you've also got the the precepts for the fire and and for the police, um, which kind of brings it all in into line. But it's um, yes, is the is the short answer is that's that's what the game is on Tuesday. The the question is, will it be like other years where um, pretty much everybody understands that this needs to happen because. Um, the financial situation that the council finds itself in, with the um, with reductions in um, local government funding from uh, from central government, um, with the increases in costs that it's that it's found, obviously, um, you know, um, all of those increases that businesses and residents have have found with the cost of living crisis, that the council won't be immune to. Mm. So it has to try to cover those while also being alert to the fact that increasing council tax is a is obviously an increase on a bill. For, for council taxpayers um yeah and i think just to cut in there simon i think mm-hmm. you know again whilst i'm being playful i think you know if, if you look at you know if you look at inflation since the last budget you know it's probably averaged out um you know uh, closer to double digits than single digits and you know again when you look at some of the key indicators like you know the living wage which you know a lot of either council employees or subcontracted council employees, particularly when we're talking about adult social care, you know, that, that rise was the best part of 10%. And if, you know, the, if in terms of numbers, an awful lot of people who are paid by the council have seen their wages increase by, you know, double digits, then obviously that is has got to lead to some kind of wage inflation because, you know, if the operator gets a 10% rise and now earns more than the supervisor or the team leader. Um, so I think I think the vast majority of people kind of recognise that the, 
the council, you know, their their bills have gone up by, you know, a significant percentage, um, and and their ability to increase their income is is limited to 4.99 percent um yeah indeed um and we won't kind of go through the we won't break out the kind of the line by line on the on, on the budget items but you know essentially that's that that's the odd thing is that with previous council meetings everybody understands that that's the that's the landscape that they're operating in what what seems to be the the political level of the of the drama in recent uh, recent years has been that um there seems to be a um, I wouldn't say merry-go-round, but a kind of a musical chairs of one group or another will um, will seem to be offended that they've been left out of so-called secret conversations or secret backdoor, you know, backdoor discussions with with another group on the council that they had had with the administration, um, and it kind of just seems a bit. Surely everybody can understand that you know who the administration is, and you know, and everybody can count, so they know how many votes they have and how many votes the the opposition parties have and uh, and also that that a budget needs to be passed otherwise the council can't can't do its business and can't do its job of, of um all of the all of the mandatory things that it needs to do for the residents of the city then uh, do we need the kind of the political but you didn't ask us you know where everybody well, is can't you all just sit down and talk it through is yeah. that i don't know well, well, I guess that's a chicken and egg mm. discussion, isn't it? Because the way the numbers work is quite clear, isn't it? The, so the Lib Dems are a minority administration, but they basically need one of the other three groups. And I know there are more than three groups, but, you know, if we look at the major groups, the Conservatives, um, the Labour Party and the Portsmouth Independent Party, um, if they get the support of any one of those three, then their budget passes it's as simple as that so there is an element of in in purely pragmatic terms you know politically if you're the lib dems yes you could sit down with all three of those groups and you know there are some 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 other kind of either non-aligned independent who who you know you, you will give you another two or three votes but there's an element of if you do a deal with any one of those three then your budget passes. So, and I think this is where, you know, whilst we won't don't want to go through everything line by line, I think what we saw in last year's debate is the latitude or the wiggle room that anybody, that the council has got is yeah. very small because you, you, you kind of, you've got to do adult social care. You've got to do children's social care. You've got the precepts for the fire and the police. You know, you've got statutory obligations that you have to fulfill. Well, increasingly, when you cut those slices from the pie, the segment that's left, which we could describe as discretionary spend, is really quite small. Yeah, it, it, indeed. And, um, I, I, and and I think that's the you know, that's the reality that that everyone seems to be uh, seems to be playing to. I think. I, I think obviously um, the budget comes a couple of months before before May's local elections, so there's always kind of political um, sp uh, space to be made on. Well, these are the things we would have done differently, um, and the administration decided basically didn't didn't want to do what we wanted to do. I guess if you have a conversation, there's always going to be things of there are some things that you wanted that we 
you know that that basically the overall um can't happen um and and likewise for every everybody else you can't you know it's it's the art of compromise isn't it it's yeah there are some things that you would have done differently there are some slightly different things in in you know style or substance and and these those can sometimes be kind of made quite a big thing of on on um on political leaflets but but fundamentally you're you're trying to draw from the same same pot and as you say it's it's it seems to be you're trying to divide up the cake into ever um into you know you're trying to divide up a a shrinking cake into into actually ever larger pieces which kind of doesn't really work Mm. so um i think i've mixed my metaphors thoroughly i think i think you possibly have Um, but but i i think the key point (laughs) that we can all agree on is is that the you know that the we'll we'll use your pie cake metaphor that 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 is that isn't getting bigger every year the segments being taken out of it are bigger every year and the amount that's left that's discretionary it is is smaller but mm. i think i guess the really big questions which which are the ones that seem to be posed is that you know again it's about those choices of services that you fund and support and those that you don't the other questions that i think have been posed historically is about you know is there is there the ability of the council to generate more revenue yeah i think i think there's something in 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 something we touched on there was something around um council tax charged for second homes does that appear anywhere it it does indeed so yes yeah, so one of the things that um that's being proposed so one of the things on on the agenda is um actually about the council uh the council basically uh so from the 1st of april it will in 2025 it will be able to levy a 100 percent uh premium on council tax for um for second homes in the city um and um that's going to net about 1.6 million um so um that's about nine it's only about nine uh, 977 properties so that's quite a that's quite a significant uh, kind of addition to to the council expenditure, um, sorry, council um, uh, coffers, um, but also the other thing that they um, that they're moving forward with was the the other and these were all parts of the um, the levelling up um, act that had, that had basically come into force that allows councils to charge uh, these um, these basically these levies on second homes, but also on what it calls substantially empty. Um, Un, oh, sorry substantially unfurnished empty properties um and previously the the plan had been to charge 100 percent on homes that have been substantially unfurnished and empty for two to five years um but now that's actually come down to from one year um and that basically that doing that a year earlier is, is going to net um uh, about 600k or so so you know again you know these aren't small and inconsiderable sums that we're that we're talking about and indeed at a time when people are struggling to find housing and the cost of housing is you know the it's a, the supply and demand equation that's that's never more prescient than in an island city that just doesn't have more space um the you know the, the premium um it, you know uh, if they've been empty for more than five years it's 200 percent. if it'd been empty more than 10 years it's it's uh, it's 300 percent. so if anything that might rather than being a cash generating source that might perhaps free up some um, mm. some empty properties in the city 
um you know so either way that kind of helps but from a a cash perspective um obviously that's a you know there's there's a fair sums there that kind of goes to help um but it's yeah yeah uh, the thing that always worries me about those uh, and i think i think it is a i think it's a perfectly fair and reasonable tax to charge i do wonder though whether it will be whether it's one of those ethereal taxes which you never quite collect you know, if we look at a national level, um, you know, Labour have been very, very vocal about closing the non-DOM status and how many millions or billions that will raise. You know, I, 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 there's always a bit of me that says, well, if you are astute enough to manage your tax affairs as a non-DOM, then I'm fairly certain that once that legislation comes in, you'll find a different way to manage your tax affairs Um which means that you won't be paying the millions upon billions of, of, of pounds. And I do worry about this one that, you know, people do have, you know, the second home piece is, and I was surprised when you said it was 977. I guess it must be that there must be certain definitions around the second home because, you know, I can't believe that in a city the size of ours, that people who have a, who own a second house and use it for rental purposes, you know, to generate income for themselves. I can't believe there's less than a thousand of those in our entire city. So, um, you know, what, what, as you said, what it might do is stimulate some of those properties to come onto the market as people look at it and go, well, it was nice to have, but, you know, if that's now going to be £300 a month council tax for a house I don't live in, I'll liquidate it and sell it. So there is a worry for me that that this might be a tax that never, you know, you give people effectively by saying from the 1st of April 2025, I wonder how many of those homes will get liquidated onto the market before a penny in tax is ever collected. Um, I mean, I I guess there's an element of, um, you know, taxation has two results, doesn't it? Um, It drives behaviour and it drives, um, and it, basically creates revenue and there's a sliding scale and a balance between between them of of how much does what yeah and just to clarify these would be properties not that are you know a landlord for example owning a property and renting it out these would be someone having for example a second home for example a holiday home in Portsmouth Mm. um that isn't um you know is isn't uh basically predominantly occupied so it's, it's not one that they would you, you know would be on the rental market it's it, it it's basically just a um a home that you would you would you know for example if you've if you're in a situation i'm plucking out a thin era you you've got a you've got a nice um apartment in Gunwharf that you you know that you come and you come and spend your 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 summers in or, or whatever yep. but it's um so yeah, it, like you say, it remains to be seen just how much, you know, it looks good on paper that these would be able to net these sorts of revenues. It remains to be seen uh, whether they whether they um, whether they will, in fact, actually net that or just change the behavior so that people uh, people avoid it. Um, but it's, you know, the council is just in a situation where it's just trying to find ways to um, increase its funding in, in a variety of different ways. Yeah. Um, thankfully, Portsmouth hasn't hasn't made some of the or so many. Or, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there have been some failures of financial decisions with in, you know investing in in commercial markets, but it hasn't made some of the catastrophic failures of decisions that other councils have. And we're not in a situation where 
we're having to turn around to the government and say that's it we've got we've, we're out of money we've got we've we've got no money left gov you take over we're, we're yeah. not you know we're not calling in a section 151 so you don't have to look good very no, far down knowledge. the down the m27 yeah. for for examples of that yeah no good use of section 151 no and i think this is whilst you know we we are we are not, neither of us footballists the classic portsmouth southampton divide does come into play here because you know southampton city council is in a world of financial hurt and you know it it it, it is it, it is if it's not already in that situation it's rapidly heading towards it so i think we do have to acknowledge that you know whilst there is a little bit of political shenanigonery that will go on and as you say there'll be some some leaflet fodder uh, in terms of you know we proposed more money for the tiny children and the horrid lib dems said no or you know th th there is going to be a bit of that going on i think you know one thing we should be uh, and i'm going to use the word grateful to the whole council for uh, over probably the last you know 10 15 years is that they have run a balanced budget you know they they have had to you know collectively make difficult decisions about the balance between you know spending and income and we're not southampton for, yeah, for many reasons, we should be grateful that we're um, we're not yeah. Southampton. Although I, I found myself recently visiting it for for different reasons. Um, well, no, I was thinking of um, my, my dad's stay in hospital yes. in Southampton yes. General. So, yes. um, so um, as, as difficult as that was uh, to get to, but that's a that's a different kettle of onions, as, as some would say. So, yeah, we, it remains to be seen, kind of um, what happens, how long that meeting will be, how much of the of the combat so-called in the chamber on Tuesday will be will be faux combat and how much of it will be just kind of acceptance of look this is a situation there isn't there isn't a magic money tree um and you know to be honest my council tax increasing by 70 to 90 pound a year isn't isn't really the end of the world for me but lots of people in the city aren't in that situation and that really will make a difference to them yeah and and it's that element of as you say it, it, it's it, it's that element of you know five five percent versus three percent it, it, it's something we all you know we can all posture about but it's almost it, it's one of those things that just happened you know when i was a regular rail commuter to work you know it used to drive me mad that every year at the end of january there would be a <gasps> rail prices are going to go up by x percent and it's like well Yes, they are. And they were always going to. And, you know, it's not like you didn't know it was coming. And then, you know, there is that piece where, you know, they, oh, they've gone up by 10, you know, by 6% this year. And, you know, you'd wander into the ticket office and you'd pay for your return to Haven and find it was like 15p dearer. And, you know, whilst 15p is 15p and I'd rather have it than not, it, it wasn't it wasn't going to change the world or break the bank so you know like, like you say if if you are if you're down to your last few coins then obviously any rise is going to cause mm. you massive pain yeah. um but but i guess it's that element of you know again if if it's going to cost you 150 pound a year for for a five percent rise then you know, sixty pound a year less if it was only three percent. Um, you know, five pound a month, pound a week. 
Um, you know, is a deal breaker if you haven't got an extra pound a week, but it probably isn't going to make an enormous amount of difference. So anything else shouting out from the agenda? Or is that, uh, that the key highlights? Yeah, that's. The, I mean, those those are the the, the kind of the, the the key things. I mean, there are some projections about kind of the next um, three years about um, about actually you talked about um, uh, about balanced budget about entering into into deficit. So there's definitely kind of alarm lights, you know, flashing um, about the continued kind of. Pr- uh, pressure on on local government funding um and you know accepting uh, accepting as a given that for the for the uh, 25 26 um uh, financial year that the council is going to have to find savings of at least of at least a million so you know there you can continue to be in- innovative i guess and, and continue to find ways to save but there is a there has to be kind of a, a, a you you can always in you know there's always something you can find but the but you you ever you, the the low hanging fruit the easy stuff is is already been plucked bare yet now you're kind of looking for the really really kind of hard to do and I and I should imagine like most organisations the stuff that would really drive productivity and efficiency also requires a, a painful level of investment in order to deliver the number of times I think on budgets that they've kicked down the road replacing one computer system or another bearing in mind how awful government institutions seem to be about replacing um, computer systems and that's why you know some of them end up retaining systems that are no longer secure or no longer um maintained by their by their provider that are literally stuff that's knocking around from like the 90s um you know that's why because they ne- they're never in a situation where they're able to bite the bullet and say this is how much it's going to cost to replace yep and and yeah. actually get that done so it, it it kind of becomes a an ever um an ever kind of painful cycle but um thankfully we've got some really clever and astute people that do that for us and kind of make those make those decisions but we'll see how that conversation goes on tuesday and see how see how long that meeting lasts what's your what's your thoughts on how long it's going to be well we've got we've got you know uh, the mayor tom coles his his recent form has been excellent in Mm -hmm. this regard hasn't it he he definitely channels his inner inner klingon to make sure that the meetings kind of run to time so he doesn't doesn't have to get out his back left that um quite to no. he doesn't swing his bat leather around the around the room so no no but uh i i i think we could i'm i'm gonna back tom coles and say i reckon we'll be done by half six okay um i, I must admit i i feel um i i had a feeling of kind of something similar um but we're remain to be seen our um our, our chats with others maybe they feel that it's that it that it won't be quite as uh, as plain sailing who knows we'll find out and that's what we'll report on next week absolutely so you've been listening to the pompey politics podcast i've been ian tiny morris and i've been simon sansbury so uh, do join us at our usual time next week uh, where we're reporting on how that full council meeting went and um and whether the drama was over anticipated or or whether it just turned out to be acceptance of the of the numbers on the page um but do click those links if you want to have a look at that meeting and do remember to um to like us wherever you're listening to us and follow and subscribe um and we'll see you next week (laughs) 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. If you want to make sure you get notifications about upcoming shows and get to know when we're live, we normally broadcast live 6.27pm on a Sunday evening, then follow us on Facebook at Pompey Politics Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Pompey Politics One. Please, if you'd like to, feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and you can even ask Alexa to play the podcast for you. Alexa, play the latest episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. Getting Pompey Politics Podcast from Amazon Music. Alexa, the latest episode. stop. See? It's easy. <laughs>